this this week I put on Facebook, I put some questions and uh, enlisted those on my page and on the church page about leadership. And I tell you what, I, I touched a nerve because I got more response on these questions than most anything else I've ever crowdsourced for sermon help, if you will. I was looking for illustrations and applications and and got a lot of stuff, and, and, a, and a few answers in particular were just really, really insightful, and many of them were just resounding. They're just the same sort of chorus over and over about what leadership is about, what qualities we look for, and so on. And and, and one, one lengthy response, which I was extremely grateful for, came from, from Jan, Jan Jones, who has taught leadership at a college level before. And, and she said what she used to do was to, to start a, a leadership class by, by using a whiteboard and, and talking and, and getting some responses. And I thought, you know what? Our building is small enough. I could probably hear somebody if they talk from the back. I know that, I know that the cheap seats are up front, and, and you all paid premium for that. But I'm asking you to get involved, all right? And, uh, and so anyway... The question is this, who are some people, I'm, I'm going to write their names down as, as you give them to me as fast as I can, who are some people that you would say throughout history that you would consider to be a leader of some kind? Now, now it's going to be sort of chaotic and all at once, and I realize you're, not, you're it's, maybe I won't hear you, but, but who, who do you have? What do you, who do you have? George Washington. George Washington. I'm just going to put GW and then Napoleon. Who else? Mother Teresa. That's good. Does she spell it with a T-H? Yep. Yeah. You did. Jan told me that was going to show up. No question. Yeah. That's right. Who? Paul. David, you said? You can tell I'm short because all this is going to wind up way low on the board here. Jesus. Jesus, all right. Danny, it's holding up so far, buddy. We weren't sure. General Patton. Hmm. Anybody else? What do you think? Oprah. Hmm. Moses. But Moses, yeah. <clears throat> we, listen, we're, we're going to close in prayer. That's Some of you don't even know. Now, you came to church, you didn't know what you're going to get into this morning, did you? You had no idea. Sparky Anderson was the manager of the Big Red Machine in the 1970s. I mean, this is, this is a solemn moment right here. <laughs> the great George Sparky Anderson. We'll just, we'll put him right here. Sparky. What if your nickname was Sparky? That'd be great. Here's the question. How many of, of these leaders do you think that, that if, if we were to evaluate them and say, here's... Here's what great leaders are about. This is what a great leader does. I wonder how many would hold up against that mirror. And, and, and then if we went further, if we go further, how many, how many names would we have to erase when we hold up to the mirror of what Jesus said is great leadership? You realize that there is a distinction. 
and a very sharp distinction that we'll see this morning in the Scripture between what Jesus said leadership is about and what most people throughout history have assumed that leadership is about. We we would probably have to take the eraser to quite a few names up there and say, well, as we look at the Scripture this morning, I'm not sure they measure up. God's Word is going to give us that distinction. And this morning, all I want you to do is hold yourself up to the mirror of God's Word and say, I am in a position of leadership. And let me tell you, everybody here is. Because leadership has to do with influence. And if you have influence in the lives of other people, whether you have lots of influence or a small amount, lots of people or a small, small group, you, you are a leader in some capacity, whether you recognize it or not. And my prayer and my hope and my challenge for us this morning, let's just hold the mirror of God's Word up to us. Here's what Jesus has to say that great leadership is about, that great influence is founded upon, and let's see how we measure up. And then when we know and we learn that, you know what, <laughs> I'm not so sure, and when I turn that mirror on myself, I like what I see, then the call will be simply to repent and to bring that under the lordship of Jesus Christ and say from this point forward, Lord, that's my commitment, is to lead as you have instructed me to. We're in a series called Serve. And you say, what does service have to do with leadership? And the only answer to that is everything. Absolutely everything. We just finished a series called Commit, and the idea for this next church year from September to next August is that everything in our lives that we do flows out of a commitment to Jesus Christ, or at least it should, and as we look at the things that flow from that, one of those is the idea of service. Our identity in Jesus Christ, because we are His and because we are to be like Him, because He was a servant, that's who we are to be, and that's what we are to do. Jesus, obviously the most influential figure in all of history, identified himself as a servant. Jesus never held public office. The Bible would tell us he rarely even had a consistent place to live. He had no money to speak of, and yet he is the most influential figure in all of history. I would say that based upon that, we probably ought to listen to what he has to say. We probably ought to take his advice... And see what he's got to tell us. Now, we're going to look today at what Jesus says great leadership is founded upon. And what he's going to tell us is it's founded upon great service. But when you look at some just general information about the topic of leadership, you've probably heard quotes before. Uh, I've heard different quotes. uh, Everything rises and falls on leadership. And I think that's pretty accurate. Depending upon the, the quality of leadership in your home, I would say that the condition of your home probably goes up and down with the quality of leadership that's provided. Uh, any church or organization or school or business or anything like that rises and falls. It, it will probably only reach the potential of the leaders that are guiding it. There have been over, oh, right now, Jan mentioned this to me, there are over 100,000 titles available on Amazon.com on the subject of leadership. Isn't that crazy? Over 100,000 titles on the same subject. One of the questions that I posed on Facebook this week, just some general thoughts on leadership, is how do we really know what good leadership is? Where do we learn it from? And some folks said, well, we learn it from experience. We, We learn what good leadership is and what poor leadership is based upon our experiencing good leadership and poor leadership. We learn it from mentoring, somebody who has guided us and taught us and helped us to understand. We learn, several folks said this, by just watching. 
We just observe other people and their leadership. We learn from asking questions or from reading books or maybe from parents. Those are some general sources. And from Jesus today, that we'll learn what He values most in people that are in any position of influence. And there's an episode in Matthew chapter 20 that reveals His thoughts on leadership. So this morning, I'm not just going to give you the feedback that I got from people on Facebook. I'll use some of that as an illustration. But I really want to get to the heart of what does Jesus say about this? If you aspire, if you want, if you have any desire whatsoever to have influence in the lives of people, how should you go about it? Matthew chapter 20. You'll see the scripture there on the sheet that's uh, in your bulletin. You can get to it in your Bible if you brought a copy. You can scan the code if you prefer that to read it on your tablet or your smartphone. And it will be on the screen behind me. Uh, actually, uh, the, the, uh, the full passage I'll just read. That won't be totally on the screen. Let me read this passage to you. Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? We're able, they said. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup, but to sit at my right and my left is not mine to give. Instead, it belongs to those for whom it has been prepared by my father. When the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them and the men of high position exercise power over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, it's easy to see here the contrast that Jesus makes. He's going to show us first what could be categorized as just some worldly, some general, some default thinking on what great leaders do, on the role of great leaders, on what great leadership is about. And, and that's what we'll look at first. So if, you're, if, you're a, if you aspire to be a great leader, what would you think you need to do? You know, simply because this is what seems to be right in the eyes of other people. How do you go about, if you will, climbing the old proverbial ladder? If you want to climb the ladder in society, I mean, get as high up there as you possibly can. Now, let's be honest. Even though we're sitting in church today, we've got some folks right now, you're about here, and you're looking right up here, and you've got a plan. You're going to get there. You've got some aspirations, and you're not content just standing right here, and you're going for the top. You're going to get there. How is it that you will pursue it? Jesus shows us, and this episode shows us, what's the default thinking? If you're going to climb the ladder, if you're going to gain more influence, if you're going to be successful... What's the default thinking on that? You see this on the back of that little handout that I gave you. We're going to go through this. The first thing that we by default would think that this episode shows us is that you're going to need to know and to use the right people and connections. I mean, if you're going to advance, if you're going to get from here and you're moving up, you have got to know and you've got to use the right people. Verse 20 tells us that the mother of Zebedee's sons... Now, if you know anything about the 12 disciples, you know that James and John were the sons of Zebedee, this man, Jewish man. What we're told in John chapter 19, and, and, and the study that I did this week, reveals that, that 
the consensus is really that this woman, this mother of Zebedee's sons, was the sister of Jesus' mother, his aunt. So these guys are his cousins. They're related to him. They're flesh and blood. You think they aren't going to use this connection they have with Jesus? They know him. Here's what, it, here's what happened. The mother of Zebedee's sons approached him with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. This is a position of submission. She understands he is a king. Now they misunderstand the kingdom. What do you want? He asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right and the other on your left, in your kingdom. She's seeking, through the use of the right people and connections, an advancement for her sons. It only makes sense that she would. After all, they're related. Why would you not do that? I mean, let's be honest. If, if, if you're trying to, to advise a young person to say, you know, you're getting out of college and you want to find a job, well, what do you tell them? Well, it's going to be a lot about who you know. Isn't that true? Now, I'm not saying this is necessarily good or bad, but this is default thinking on leadership that if you want to advance, you have got to know and you have got to use the right people and connections. That's what she's doing. She understands that Jesus is in charge and she's not trying to usurp his authority. All she's trying to do is gain a better place for her sons in what she thought was going to be an earthly kingdom right then set up that Jesus was going to overthrow all of their secular and Roman enemies and he's going to set up this new Jewish kingdom and she says, you know what, maybe I could get my sons the inside track. After all, they've followed him around now for about two and a half years. They're related to him. I know the right person. I'm just going to suggest that maybe they be given the best positions in the kingdom. That's default thinking. Yet that is the, the ultimate way that you're going to rise is by knowing and using the right people and connections. But here's the problem. Jesus sees through it. Verse 22, Jesus answered. Now, he doesn't answer her. He talks to them. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, that's a metaphorical talk for are you, are you able to endure what I'm about to have to endure? Drinking a cup in the Old Testament, that was, that was symbolism for for severe uh, persecution, severe hardship, and testing and trials, and even a symbol of God's wrath. And Jesus says, are you, 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 you able to do that? They misunderstand it. They say, well, yeah, yeah, we can do that. We're able. You can picture these two guys who want these positions, and say, well, yeah, nothing. I can do anything. It's like somebody who sits in an interview. They have no idea what they're talking about. They tell you they can do everything. They have no weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? Well, I don't really have any. What are your strengths? Well, you know, I don't know if we have time to discuss them all, but, uh, you know, but, you know, let me, I mean, these are what these guys are like. I don't have any weaknesses. I, yeah, we can do this. This is no problem for us at all. What they're, what they're misunderstanding is the kind of cup that Jesus was going to have to drink. Look at verse 23. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup. They thought, well, this is just some hardship along the way. I mean, in order, in order to get from, from this step up to the next step, well, okay, no pain, no gain. Yeah, we'll... We'll endure a few difficulties on the road to reaching our goals. Yeah, we can handle that, Jesus, no problem. We, we got you. And we know it's going to be tough for you to set up this earthly kingdom because there's going to be a fight to be had. We're all in. We're ready for that. Jesus, so you, you don't have any clue what you're talking about. You're going to drink the cup I'm going to drink. In fact, James was the first Christian martyr. John would later be exiled. He wrote the book of Revelation while he was exiled in the island of Patmos. He says, you're going to experience so much of what I'll go through. He said, but, but to hand out those positions of high honor, those highest positions in the kingdom, that's not for me to give. That's for those for whom it's been prepared 
by my father. They didn't understand the kingdom. They thought that leadership under Jesus was just going to be this incredible rising to power and this glorious kingdom that they were going to be in charge of. They didn't get it. Completely misunderstand what leadership in his kingdom is all about. And you know, a lot of that hasn't changed. Even among churches, we still have this desire to rise to power. And I see it in churches, be it local or on a convention or national level, this jockeying for power, this desire to be in charge and to have the highest positions of honor and so on. And I think oftentimes we, like they, we don't understand what true leadership in, in God's kingdom really is all about. If you're truly going to have influence in the lives of people, you may be on a certain position on the ladder and that's fine, but that's not what gets you influence in the kingdom of God. They were ambitious, no doubt, but their ambitions to climb this worldly ladder had blinded them to really what Jesus wanted for them. You'll have to endure incredible hardship, he said, but you're missing the point. How, how many people have you known that they wanted to be in a position of leadership to climb up this ladder as far as they could, to lean on the people that they knew and had connections with, but they had no idea what they were getting into? They, they just wanted the position. I just want a title. I just want my name on the door. Wouldn't that be great? The default thinking is that you should use whatever people and whatever connections you might have, and that is what you need in order to do number two, which is to pursue the right position. Default thinking on leadership in the world is, okay, number one, find out who you know and what connections you have and use those to your advantage as best you can so that you can pursue the right position. Verse 24, when the disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. You know why they were indignant? They're not indignant because they felt that James and John were so unrighteous for pursuing this. They just didn't think of it themselves. They didn't get to it first. They were beaten to the punch. You realize that, that James and John were just doing what the disciples had always done, which is to fight for who's the greatest. They knew Jesus on a relations level. They were related to him, blood relatives, and so they go to him and beat everybody else to the punch. These guys are upset because they're using an unfair advantage to get the positions that they wanted. They thought the right position was at the right and left hand of Jesus. And after all, I mean, that's where all the perks and all the attention is garnered. That's what they saw in the leaders of their day. You, you know you've made it once that right position opens up and you get it. And on your business card, it finally says what you've always wanted it to say. Climb the ladder, people will tell you. Don't settle for a position lower than the one that you deserve, the one that you have earned, the one you've gone to school for. Don't settle for all that. One of the questions I posed on Facebook was, why is it do you think that many people want to climb this old proverbial ladder? Why do people want to climb the ladder? Some folks said this. One was arrogance. Another person said that because they want to better themselves, to make a positive difference, to make more money, to have greater prestige, 
to leave a legacy, to gain more influence or power. James and John were no different than just the default thinking, and that is, we're going to climb as high as we can. The disciples, when they heard about it, they said, that's the right position for us. We're going to be indignant. We're upset by that. And then Jesus calls them over in verse 25, and he says, you know, and he talks about two different groups of people, the rulers and the men of high position. Even they, in that secular world, knew there were certain positions that were more desirable than others. All you have to do to be a great leader in society back then and society now is simply to pursue and to get to the right spot on the ladder. Then you got it made. Then your benefits go up. Then you get more time off. I mean, then you get an expense account. Then all these things happen that could never be possible for you before. So if you can simply get to the right position... Everything's good. Now you can tell all those people that were down here what to do. You know that person that was here, and you were here, and you leaped over them? Guess what? Now I'm in charge. Now I can use my position. I can leverage my authority. According to default thinking back then, and it has not changed, the, the, the best way that you can go about being a great leader would be to know and to use the right people and connections to pursue the right position. And thirdly, as Jesus highlights in verse 25, you need to make sure you drop the hammer at the right time. This is the best one. Now, we've all seen people like this, haven't we? We know. I mean, they're, they're the hammer droppers. I've seen it in church. I've seen it on church staff before. I saw a guy get hired one time at a church... And he was brought in by the pastor's own words to be the hammer for the rest of the staff. And I thought, well, how do we need a hammer? I didn't know. What do we do wrong? Verse 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles dominate them. And the men of high position exercise power over them. I mean, let's be honest. What's the point in being a leader if you can't act like it? I mean, if you can't take advantage of it, if you have no privilege, if you can't tell people what to do and they do it, then do you really have any leadership at all? I mean, what's the point? If you can't get up to the highest point on the ladder and then tell everybody else below you, here's how it's going to be, listen to me, get on my back and here we go, and if you get out of line, guess what, here comes the hammer, isn't that one of the perks of leadership? I mean, isn't that one of the things that, that we sometimes see the world admire? I mean, you watch those reality shows, Shark Tank and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you see those people who, who they're gonna, just going to, boom, here's the, here's the way it's going to be. Those people are admired. Jesus highlights the fact that these rulers, they dominated the people under them. That means that they treated them as if they were inferior. They lorded it over them, versions will say. They made it hard for the people underneath them. They wanted to be seen as important. They're rulers. They're men of high position. They want everybody to know how powerful and important they are, and so they're going to make it seen. They're going to make sure that people get it, so they will drop the hammer when they need to. And everybody else just sort of walks around thinking, when's it coming next? When's it going to happen? And that's how they continue to climb the ladder. The world will tell you that you make sure you exercise your authority at the right time. You be more aggressive. You be more dominant. You be more vocal. You be more intimidating. That's how you get up the ladder because nobody's going to help you. In fact, everybody else is competing for that same spot. They're going to do it to you. You might as well get it done to them before they do it to you. 
How is it, I asked on Facebook, that most people go about climbing this proverbial ladder? I think Jesus shows us you just drop the hammer at the right time, you exercise your authority, you leverage your position, you make sure people know you're in charge, and eventually you'll keep climbing. The responses on Facebook were this, you have to know the right people and sponsors. You have to work hard, have some expertise, have a specific plan for action, be determined, be disciplined, make the right decisions, take on responsibility. There is extreme competition, one person mentioned, on climbing that ladder. You have to push yourself to be better. You have to persevere, and somebody was very honest and mentioned, well, there's a lot of lying, backstabbing, entitlement, and manipulation that goes on with it, too. Now, I, I understand that in some ways I may be talking to folks this morning who this isn't your default thinking on great leadership. Or maybe you work for people whose default thinking is this, and you're, you're saying, well, look, I... I get it. I, you know, that's not what I want to do. How can I have some influence? I mean, I'd like to change the way things are. I don't know where to start because I don't have the right position. I'm not high enough on the ladder. Should I, should I just do what I have to do? I mean, should I just give in? Well, Jesus will tell us that the kind of leader that he wanted his disciples to be the kind of things he wanted them to set their sights on, the things they were to be concerned with as maybe they rose up the ladder were not the things that those secular and those worldly kinds of leaders were about. It's not going to be about, for Jesus, using the right people and connections or, or pursuing the right position or dropping the hammer at the right time. He had a different plan. Because after all, Jesus knew, and we know, that those people who are using those tactics alone to climb this ladder, many of them are just insecure. They don't want you to know that they don't think they're any good at what they're doing, so they're just going to drop the hammer on you. They're just going to leverage their authority and keep you at bay so that you don't find them out. The truth is, most of us have no clue what we're doing, and we're scared to death that somebody's going to find out. Isn't that true? Maybe that's just me. The world might measure greatness and leadership according to position and the exercise of authority, but for Jesus, it's a different measuring stick entirely. Look at what he says in verses 26 and 27. Here's, here's Jesus on leadership. And let me say this before we get to the verses. These are the things that we so desperately want our leaders to possess. This was the one, the one question that, that I knew the answers I was going to get before I asked the question. What is it, I asked, do we, what, what do we really want in our leaders? Here were the responses. Caring, empathy, integrity, listening, honesty, guidance, patience, someone who empowers their employees and doesn't micromanage, work ethic, authenticity, transparency, and a sympathy for the shortcomings of others. We know this is the kind of leader we want, and yet so often we don't see this. Jesus is going to highlight what he wants in leaders and what he says. Look at verse 26. It must not be like that among you. You see all that default thinking? He says, it must not be like that. With that word there, but Jesus called them over in verse 25, that means he sets himself apart in complete opposition to that line of thinking that James and John were going after. It must not be like that. What does he say instead? On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. The first thing that Jesus highlights is that if you want to be a great leader and a person of great influence in his eyes, then you've got to first meet the needs of others. 
In verse 26, he uses this idea of being a servant. That's what a servant does for other people. They meet their needs. I mean, you've seen enough TV shows to know. Maybe you have those servants living in your house, and they are there to meet your needs. That's what a servant does. Exists to meet the needs of someone. What do you need? I will help you get that. I will take care of meeting that need for you. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you first must meet the needs of others. Your role as a leader, as a person who has or who wants influence, is to meet the needs of others, to play the role of a servant. Now, now what's interesting here is that Jesus, by his own words, doesn't, he doesn't indicate that he despises all ambition. Because he says, it must not be like that. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great, ambition is okay. You don't have to just make yourself absolutely nothing and not pursue anything in life whatsoever. But Jesus is going to guide it. If you, if you truly want to be great, and not just great in the eyes of people, but great in the eyes of Jesus, if you want to be that kind of great, if you want to every spot you are on the ladder to be great in His eyes, then you must be a servant. That's the idea where service comes into leadership. What does service have to do with it? Everything, according to Jesus. In the role you're playing as servant, that's where you'll find fulfillment, regardless of your position. Because here's the truth. Some of us are on this step right now. And we hate it. Oh, it's just, it's miserable. I didn't go to school for this. I've been here for 25 years and I'm in the same spot. They don't recognize anything I can do. And everybody around you tells you, well, you ought to be in charge. I mean, you're the one who gets it. And if they would just listen to you, then everything else would be fine. I mean, you could, you would, you put you in charge of the company and it's going to be great. And so what, what you think is, well, it's my position. That's the problem. I'm not fulfilled. I hate my job because I'm in the wrong position. And so you pursue a different position. You get up here a little bit. Whew, all right, a little bit more money. I can handle that. And, man, it, uh, you know, it feels a little better. I'm a little higher up here. And it seems like I've got a little bit more control and influence. And then after about six months, those same old feelings come back. And you just think, what am I doing in this position? I mean, yeah, okay, it's a little bit different from the one below it. But, you know, this still, this is not it. I mean, there's something missing here. This, uh, so you get to the next one. Six months later, the same thing happened. You realize you could get all the way to the top. Now, I won't stand up here for two reasons. Number one, I would fall. Number two, actually maybe three, I would scare you before I fell. Number three, I'm not sure who would come to my rescue. So, <laughs> Johnny? All right, thanks. And so... But you know, you could get all the way to the top. I mean, you could change positions over and over and over. And isn't it true that the position doesn't change you? You think that the position is going to solve the problem. And the money is going to solve the issue. And the benefits are going to... Oh, that's, at that point, everything will be great. And listen, there's nothing wrong with all of those things. Certainly we'd all enjoy a little bit more money and better benefits and more time off and maybe a position that suits our personality or our gifting a little bit better. But you know as well as I do that it's not the position. If you're seeking fulfillment from a position, there's always going to be one higher. There's always going to be somebody better. There's always going to be that one more step to take, that another dollar to be made. The position's not going to be it. Jesus knew that. And so he says, if you want to be great at any position on the ladder, you've got to meet the needs of others. Take the role of a servant. 
Secondly, he highlights that his kind of leaders must empower others for success. He says in verse 27, whoever wants to be first, now we all want to be first. You ever seen kids try to line up? I mean, you tell me that a sinful nature doesn't exist. You tell me that kids are just good and loving by nature. You do one of two things. You tell them, line up at the door, or you throw one toy in the floor of a, of, of a room of toddlers, and that's it, and just watch them fight over it. I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. They're going to fight to be first to the door. Now, we, we get better at this as we get older. We sort of make it look like we're not trying to. It's like last week with the fellowship. Some of you wanted to make it look like you weren't trying to be first, you know. I get it. It's okay. We're just grown-up kids. You know, that's the way it is. We all want to be first. He said, you want to be first. He, and Jesus highlights the fact that really there's not anything inherently wrong with wanting to try to make sure to have leadership and influence. But he says, if you want to be first, you must be a slave. You know, a slave exists just to make other people successful. I mean, you think of the, the great tragedy and stain on our own country, the stain of slavery. What, what did those slaves do? They made their owners successful. The slave is bound to do all that he or she can to make somebody else empowered for success. Jesus says, look, if you want to be first and you get to the back and you push everybody else to be successful, you help them accomplish what they're doing. That's the role we play in the lives of others regardless of our position. We as believers in Jesus must be people who claim no rights, who, who have no privilege, who claim no sense of entitlements. Jesus isn't done because he goes on, uses himself as an example in verse 28, and he says, you need to meet the needs of others, you need to empower others for success, and thirdly, you've got to sacrifice on behalf of others. Verse 28, just as the Son of Man, referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is the very opposite of what James and John were doing. They weren't sacrificing for the betterment of the rest of the disciples. They're just looking out for themselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're going to choose one of the two. He said, you can either choose to be served or to serve. And Jesus himself, our great leader, the most influential person in all of history, the Savior of the world, God himself in human flesh, came and he served. Greatness in the eyes of the world is about your status and your position. Jesus says it's about your function, your role that you play. As a servant, as a slave, as a person who sacrifices. Jesus didn't just do nice things for people, though. He, he, he didn't end with, well, I just came to serve people and try to make their lives a little easier, a little better. You know what he said? He said, I came not only to serve and to demonstrate tangibly the love of God so that people's needs could be met, so that they can be empowered, but I came to give my life. Don't ever misunderstand and misinterpret Jesus as just a good guy who did nice things for people. You're reading the wrong Bible. He is absolutely the Son of God who came to die for us because we so desperately needed Him. We are sinners lost, bound for hell for all eternity. And without Jesus, not just doing nice things to empower us and help us have a little bit better life, without Him dying for our sins, we have no hope. None. We stand under the wrath of God. We, we had to be purchased from the wrath of God. Jesus says, I gave my life to purchase sinners on God's behalf as a ransom. Greatness, according to Jesus, is measured by that kind of sacrifice. Now, we, we can't sacrifice our lives for the eternal security of someone else. Only Jesus can do that. But we can model and we can mirror and we can mimic His sacrifice. 
So the key to greatness is not found in position or power, but in character. The secret to great leadership, and what's Jesus really saying to us today, is that your position on the ladder might change. You, you might get a little higher. You, you might climb just a little bit more. Your position on the ladder might change, but guess what? Your role never does. You may climb higher. You may make more money. You may sit one day at the very, very top. But unless your role is still that of a servant, a slave, one who sacrifices on behalf of others, you might be successful in the eyes of this world. But Jesus looks at you like He did James and John and says, you don't get it. You missed the point. I'm not here to tell anybody that if you're in a position of leadership or authority that you need to give up that position. That's not my stance on it. I don't believe that's Jesus' stance on it. I believe, though, that in whatever position you hold, your role is to be that of a servant, a slave, and one who sacrifices. Each week in this series, I'm going to try to give you what can you do? What can you think about this week? This week's service is real simple. and I didn't even give you a fill-in-the-blank on it. Use your position. To fulfill your role. Your role is that of a servant, of a slave, of one who's supposed to sacrifice. How can you this week, in whatever position you hold, be it low or at the top, how can you, for the people that work above you, work below you, work with you, the people in your family that are older, younger, wherever, how can you use that position and leverage that position in order to serve them? In order to meet their needs. Some, some folks here, and I look around this room, some folks here have tremendous potential for good, and you're using it in so many ways. Because of your position, you can meet the needs of a lot of people. Because of your position, you can empower others to be successful and to help them. And because of your position, when you make a sacrifice, it's a big, big deal for a lot of people. You sit at the top. I'd encourage you, use that position. Leverage it. But not in order to exercise authority. Not in order to dominate, but in order to serve. And you may be at the very bottom. You may be just getting started, and your sights are set right here. No matter where you are on the ladder, no matter how high you climb in this world's eyes, be sure that your role never changes. Just simply imitate the role of Jesus to serve and to meet the needs, and to empower, to sacrifice. Understanding that, you know what, I don't deserve anything I have. That it's only because of the sacrifice of Jesus that I even have life and have the hope of eternal life. And it's only because of His blessing in my life that I enjoy this particular position. So I'm going to do everything I can to serve Him, first of all, and to serve others through this role. Your, your position on the ladder might change. And that's okay. I, I hope and I pray that so many people, young people even here, grow up and, and wind up in great positions of influence. But I hope that we teach them. And I hope that we encourage them and we help them understand that that position might change, but the role never does. Serve. Love people the way Jesus did. Receive His forgiveness. Receive His salvation and then be an extension of His grace. Let's pray together.
You read in the scripture, Jesus used his position to fulfill his role as the servant of God. He loved you to the death. He loved you to forgive you of your sins this morning, to cleanse you, the Bible says, from all unrighteousness. Your deepest need is not to have a better life or to rise higher on the ladder to make more money. Your deepest need in mind is to have our sins forgiven and remembered no more by God Himself. And that only comes through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. The invitation this morning, first and foremost as always, is to receive the gift of salvation. Receive it by faith, believing Jesus is the Son of God, that He died for your sins because you needed it. And that He is the only way you to be forgiven. Then as you move forward from that, how can you use your position to fulfill your role as a servant? Would you ask God this morning? Ask Him to help you. Open my eyes, Lord, to to who needs to have their needs met. Who, Who can I empower? Who can I sacrifice for? Lord, how can I leverage my position to fulfill the role you've given me as a servant? God, help us. Open our eyes. Overwhelm us with your grace and your truth. Challenge us, Lord, to be different. We pray that no matter where we are on that ladder, Lord, that we'd always remember our role is the one that Jesus played, that of a servant. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice he made for our sins. Lord Jesus, we love you for that. Help us, Lord, to be different, to serve others so that we can truly lead in Jesus' name.